Our reading is from Psalm 130, a song of ascent. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, so that we can, with reverence, serve you. I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. Thank you, Claire, very much for reading. Welcome, uh, welcome to you all. Uh, my welcome to Gary's, uh, especially if you've joined us since the beginning. It's great to see you back in chapel. Now, isn't this Psalm 130 a great psalm? Uh, uh, it's t- it took me um, too long in my Christian life to discover it, I, I think. It's just, it's really become one of my favourites. And the reason I love it so much is it, 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 can, it contains one of the best summaries, I think, in, in all of the Bible, of how we come to know God and to know his salvation. Many of you, I'm sure, will be aware of the conversion story of John Wesley, that, the famous uh, 18th century preacher and the founder of Methodism. He was an ordained Church of England uh, minister, but until the 24th of May, 1738, he had not understood that his sins were completely forgiven through Christ dying in his place on the cross. And on the evening uh, of that day, 1738, 24th of May, he went uh, famously to a chapel on Aldersgate Street in the city of London where, as he recounted, he felt his heart strangely warmed as he listened to a speaker explain that he could have complete assurance the forgiveness of his sins because of Christ's death in his place. Now what is less well known is that on the afternoon of that same day, he'd also been to Evensong at St Paul's Cathedral and he heard the choir sing Psalm 130. So it turns out that God had already been preparing John Wesley's heart to hear this message of complete forgiveness in Christ through the words of Psalm 130. And so I want to just invite us to meditate on these wonderful verses together now for a few, for a few moments and pray that God might give us that same conviction that Wesley uh, first had and so many others have had down the ages. So let's just pray um, as we come to this psalm. Dear Heavenly Father, we We pray in the middle of a busy day that you would quieten our hearts and that through your word and by your spirit you would open our eyes this afternoon to your wonderful salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now the psalm I think breaks down into three main themes and I'm going to illustrate these uh, for us with Uh, three pictures from the world of sea rescues. Uh, The three points are going to be the depths of our sin, the winch line of God's rescue, 
and the clip-on of our response. So first, the depths of our sin. In verse 1, you'll see, we have a picture of a person who is drowning. That the Hebrew word which depths translates it is literally deep waters. But what is the psalmist really actually drowning in? Well, verse 3, I think, gives us the answer. He's overwhelmed by his sins and a sense of deep conviction of his guilt before God. Now, straight away, that's quite countercultural these days, isn't it? For the, for the typical secular liberal person, a sense of guilt is very much a negative thing. It's something that stops us being happy and having a positive self-image. And yet, at the very same time, isn't it interesting that in our culture we're constantly pointing the finger at others and uh, the sins that we perceive in them and condemning them uh, for them. We actually know that sin is real, we just don't want to admit it in ourselves. So there's the secular liberal approach to sin, but then there's also the kind of religious, moral, conservative approach. And this person accepts the reality of sin in others and in themselves. And their response to this uh, awkward reality is to make sure that they can compare themselves positively to others with a worse track record than their own. They might say something along the lines, you know, internally to themselves. Okay, I may not be perfect, but I try my best, and I'm certainly not as bad as person X. But do you notice in this psalm, the psalmist is neither a secular liberal nor a religious moral conservative. He doesn't actually pretend that there's no such thing as sin, nor does he try and relativise his sin. He actually owns his problem. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, verse 3, who could stand? The obvious answer being, no one. It's only when we compare ourselves to God that we're forced to admit that we actually have a problem. The Bible says very clearly we've been created by God. He's the one who keeps us alive every second of the day. And that everything that we have comes from him, ultimately. And so if this is true, and it stands to reason, doesn't it, that we actually then, we owe him everything, our whole lives. But then as soon as you stop to think about it, we realise that, well, there's no way any of us lives like that, day by day or hour by hour. We, we basically, we live with a debt to God that we can't, we, we don't want to pay, we, don't, we can't pay. We can't help living as if we're God instead of him. And the psalmist knows this. He doesn't stay there in the, down in the water like the secular liberal, swallowing water, gasping for breath, and, and, and shouting up to God, hey God, don't tell me I've got a problem with my swimming. You're damaging my positive self-image. But nor does he, like the religious moral conservative, keep thrashing around in the midst of all these overwhelming waves and shout up to God, hey God, look what a great swimmer I am. Look how much better I am at swimming than all these other people around me. The psalmist is in absolutely no doubt that he's drowning in his sin. He's desperate to find forgiveness. In verse 2, he's like a person in the middle of the sea, yelling, and, uh, yelling out, waving their arms, desperate to be rescued. 
He cries out to God for mercy. And the question I think I must ask this Tuesday lunchtime is, have you done that in your life so far? Or, or, or are you pretending, perhaps, that you're not drowning? Or are you trying to impress God with some hopeless attempts at staying afloat by yourself? The thing is, the Christian message will continue to leave us cold until we realise that we're actually in the depths before God. And we desperately need rescue. That is the grand story of the whole Bible from beginning to end. It's a rescue story. Which brings us to our second point. The winch line of God's rescue. Keep in mind that that picture of the person lost in the middle of the sea, almost drowning and yelling out for help. Then along comes the sea rescue helicopter. And one of those sea rescue specialists is winched down uh, on a metal line into the sea. And that rescuer joins uh, those struggling in the water, in the stormy water, and clips them on to the winch line, which then pulls them up to safety in the helicopter. And in verses 4 and 8 of this psalm, we see that winch line at work. We, we see what the winch line is that lifts the psalmist and any human being out of the depths of their sin. It's God. It's a God who comes down the winch line into those deadly waters and rescues us himself. Verse 4, with this God there is forgiveness. And verse 8, it is this God, he, who will redeem Israel. So the God of the Bible doesn't deny or sort of paper over that we've got a swimming problem. But nor does he sort of shout down at us and uh, give us swimming, essentially swimming advice, such as try harder morally, go to church, give money to charity, go on pilgrimage, get baptised, receive communion regularly, etc. What, whatever those things might be, you fill in the blanks. No, the God of the Bible, first and foremost, comes down himself into the depths to rescue us. He comes down to do essentially what we cannot do ourselves. And the psalmist in verse 8 doesn't, doesn't yet know, well, how is God going to do this? He, he knows that God is a rescuing God. He's promised it. But for us here today, living the other side of history, living the other side of the coming of Jesus Christ, we do know how God rescues us. We know that the Lord Jesus became one of us. He came in history. He lowered himself to come and rescue us. And he gave his life for our sins in our place, that we might know that forgiveness of God. In those famous words of the Apostle John, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And that's what the Bible constantly describes Jesus as, a saviour, a rescuer. And that's why Christianity is rightly described as a rescue religion. You may have heard the amazing story of Bill Deacon, the rescue helicopter winchman, who in November 1997 rescued a whole series of people who were drowning in the North Sea. 
A cargo ship, the Green Lily, had got into trouble in treacherous seas uh, near the Shetland Islands. And the lifeboats were, were unable to rescue uh, these people in such mountainous ways. So the air sea rescue helicopter was called. And Bill Deacon, 27 years in the service, lowered himself down onto the deck of the stricken vessel. And there, one by one, he tethered each of the ten crew to the winch, and each of them were lifted up to safety. But before Bill Deacon could himself be rescued, he was swept uh, overboard by a huge wave, and his body was washed up on shore a few days later. And for such amazing sacrificial bravery, the rescue of ten lives, he was awarded the George Cross, rightly so. He died simply so that those ten people might live. And in the same way, Jesus Christ died that we might live, not just now, but forever. That's the message of the Bible in the psalm. Jesus Christ has done everything necessary to rescue you, for us to receive our God's forgiveness. And we've already seen under that first point that this should, this, this should challenge the moral conservatives amongst us who think that we can earn God's salvation somehow. But there's also a word of profound comfort here, I think, to those of us who think we're never going to be good enough to receive God's love, that we could never be forgiven. Because did you notice that wonderful little word, but? It's the beginning of verse 4. But with you there is forgiveness. Now all sorts of people in life might not forgive you. Your spouse or your partner might not forgive you. Your children or your friends might not forgive you. In politics, all of you know all too well there are many people out there who are not forgiving. You might even think that you can't forgive yourself for something uh, that you've done in your life. Now this psalm tells us that none of those things matter ultimately because there's only one whose forgiveness ultimately counts and that is God. And he will forgive us our sins. With him there is forgiveness. It's promised here in this psalm and actually it's proven to us in the life, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ in history. The one who came down that winch line himself into the depths to rescue us. And perhaps some of us need to hear that, either for the first time or perhaps afresh today from this psalm. The depths of our sin, the winch line of God's rescue, and finally, the clip-on of our response. We've already seen that the psalmist knows he's drowning in the depths of his sins, and that God has come down himself to rescue him. He's, he's seen that rescue line, he's clipped onto him, himself. But notice what he then does in verse 7. He then looks around. He looks around to his fellow Israelites and he urges them to hope in the Lord with him. He says this, Israel, put, Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He's like the person in the sea, urging others to come over to the winch line and to clip on themselves. 
And of course, you know, if you were in that situation, that's what we'd all do, isn't it? You know, you, you try and get everyone else to come over to the winch line and be winched to safety. In Parliament, there are endless present goods for us to strive for. Freedom, justice, equality, protection of the vulnerable, the common good of all people. We could go on and on. That's, you know, we know that's why we're here, to seek for all these things. It's right and good. But this psalm also invites us to take a step back and remember that it, to seek the eternal good of all people too. Because the facts... The fact is, we're all in the depths, all of us. We all desperately need this winch line of God's rescue. And if you're someone here today who's already put their faith in Christ and clipped onto that rescue line, then you have the privilege of telling others throughout your life, including here in Parliament, about that rescue winch line, that it actually exists. So, just as we close, at the beginning of this new term, can I, can I encourage you to think about making these Tuesday lunchtime services a, a priority in your diary, if you can. Uh, also, to, to pray for those, for those who you work with, for, for spiritual hunger. Perhaps for an opportunity yourself to share the reason for the hope that you have in Christ. Perhaps think and pray for someone who you can invite on a Tuesday lunchtime. Because these services are designed for anyone and everyone who wants to know more of Jesus Christ, whether they describe themselves as a Christian or not. John Wesley responded to this rescue winch line of God by spending the rest of his life travelling the length and breadth of the country, telling anyone who would listen about the present and the eternal goods of Christ's rescue. So why don't we pray for God's help now that we might uh, do the same in our time. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful psalm and for all that it tells us of your amazing, uh, rescuing, forgiving love to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that he came down to us in the depths to secure our forgiveness. Thank you that we can have complete assurance of forgiveness, past, present, future, in him. We pray that we might take that truth into our hearts today and live it out in all of our lives. Um, we pray that you might give us an opportunity to share that glorious hope uh, with others. In Jesus' name.